0: What a wonderful testimony. Man, if I didn't fire you up, I don't know what will. Uh, let's give, I, I'm sure there are Paul and Laura watching even right now. Let's give them a round of applause again, just recognizing and affirming his baptism today, all right? Well, I want to call your attention to Psalm 119, a very long psalm that we're going to be looking at only a few verses in uh, this psalm, particular psalm, but um, as you're turning there, let me do this. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. ten. Why, why wouldn't you let me stop at nine? What's wrong with nine? Something about ten, right? You know, the AP, uh, NCAA top ten in football you're talking about a top 10 song it's always a top 10 you know uh, you might want to rate this sermon what on a scale of one to eight no it's always one to ten right there's something about even in our minds about the number 10 being kind of a complete number and you know in the bible there's numerology and numerology i mean the number three stands for god father son holy spirit the number six is the number for man. Number seven is the perfect number. You see that in the book of Revelation all the time. Seven this, seven seven spirits, seven that, seven this. It's the perfect number. The number 10 is the number of completeness. For example, the 10 commandments, there's 10 of them, but there's a lot of laws, but all the, the 10 commandments represent the entire law of God. You are talking about tithing. 10% of your income, will we be talking about that today, but 10% of your income represents the fact that you recognize that everything that you have belongs to God, completeness. You know, God is wanting to bless our life and we ask ourselves the question then, what do we need to do? What's our part in doing that? And part of it, in fact, all the key to it is, is your heart completely His. I love this verse. <clears throat> In Psalm 16:9, it's on your screen, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And so there you find really the answer. It's found in this little word called obedience to God. And I know immediately you think to yourself, well, man, I don't talk about obe- obedience. It's a very fearful thing, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But that is the key to it all. And obedience is simply the actions of my surrender to God. When when I surrender my heart to God, when my heart is completely His, what are the actions behind that? Well, the Bible tells us, we'll find in just a moment, obedience. Now, we were praying all last year the prayer of Jabez, and that God would bless us indeed, that God would uh, enlarge our border, that He would anoint us with His Holy Spirit for ministry, that we, he would keep us from pain and going toward pain. And we found that God has richly blessed us. We've been praying this as a church. I hope you prayed that all last year as an individual as well. And it was a prayer really for blessing and for success. We look at our church, and I went over this in my last message on uh, December 26th. But basically, <clears throat> here's some, a few of the things. Uh, we, bab, we baptized about 75 people in the last eight weeks. Isn't that something? You know, for us, we've seen growth in ministry, a great spirit in our church. You heard the testimony from Paul and from Laura, and you just know not only here, but even by way of a device and on television as well, God has blessed our ministry, enlarged our our border. In fact, right now, before we started the the year, uh, before we started the pandemic, we were ministering to about 5,000 people every week on television, local television, and now that's 10,000 people every week. So God has continued to bless that. We've given over the budget this year as well, or last year, and we look forward to a great year coming up. But on December 26th, I, I preached to you the, uh, the, uh, the prayer that we're going to claim for 2022. And it goes like this. In Psalm 67, 1 and 2, it's a little different than the prayer of Jabez, but along the same lines. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine on us that your way may be known on earth. You see, there's a reason for it now. Your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all nations. And if you didn't hear that message, I urge you to go back and watch that on the internet, on our website, so you can sort of be caught up with what we're gonna be doing for the coming year. But as we read that, we think to ourselves, well, God wants to bless us so we can be a blessing to other people. What, What do I do? What is my requirement? What do I need to do? Well, it's very simple. You go where the blessing is. You go to the place where God is going to deliver the blessing. For example, I was talking to my brother-in-law yesterday and he said, man, it's it's up here in North Georgia. And he says, 38 degrees here. I said, well, it's 72 here. (laughs) I I love to do that to to folks. Where my son's living up in the Northeast, there's a a blanket of snow everywhere. Now I can imagine somebody in Buffalo. I'm I'm not saying God doesn't answer prayer, but I'm just saying if guys in Buffalo and he's out shoveling snow. And he says, Lord, I love Buffalo. This is where my family is. This is where my job, this is, my whole life's been here. But I pray today, right now, that you would make it 72 degrees. It's l- unlikely that prayer is going to be answered. What does he need to do if he wants 72-degree weather? Somebody tell me. He needs to come to Florida, right? He needs to come here if he wants 72 degrees in January. You go to the place where the blessing is. It's the same way with God. You go where God is. You go where he is blessing and his path of blessing. Now, we wanna look at Psalm 119, and as we look at this psalm, it's really divided up, a very long psalm, longest chapter in the Bible, and it's divided up by the Hebrew alphabet. Starts off with Aleph, and then Beit, Gemal, and then Dalet, and then hey, which we're gonna be going over today. And so you know a little Hebrew. And it's, it's the alphabet of Hebrew, and it's all about the Word of God. Every bit of it is about God's Word, how it reveres God's Word, but also what a blessing it is to be obedient to God's word. In fact, he says something really strange here in verse 40. Behold, I long for my pre- your precepts and your righteousness. It give me life. Your rules give me life. He says in verse 45, uh, I shall walk in a wide place, a place of blessing, a place of choices, for I have sought your precepts. A lot of the things he says here do not make sense to us because maybe we're not really understanding what obedience is all about. So we're going to look at three things this morning. First of all, what is this thing we're calling obedience? Secondly, why is it so important? And thirdly, how do you do it? All right, first of all, I want us to see what it is because it's difficult for many of us. We think to ourselves, we cower back a little bit in, oh man, obedience. I wish I hadn't come to church today. Some people have already turned off their TVs, you know, even as I speak. Because it's a fearful thing. A poll was taken in America, and it was discovered that most people feel that at no time in your life should you give the authority of your life over to anyone else. Now, you think about that all through society, and you will find out that that sounds true. And so there's a a misunderstanding, perhaps, of what obedience is is all about. There's an interview on television, a French uh, author, this lady, uh, and she was getting on up in years. And so uh, a very surprising question, or even more surprising answer. They ask her, have you been happy in your life? And she replied, well, I have been happy most of the time, but sometimes I've been in love. And I I just did not understand that answer at all. In fact, it just sort of glossed over and went on with that. And talked about the happiness in life. Why is it that she would think when you're in love with someone, it takes away from your happiness? Well, she was also really in the context of that, talking about the freedoms of life. She says, look, when you're in love, it takes away your freedom. And when you're taking away its freedom, therefore you're taking away happiness as well. And so let's look at this whole idea of freedom. And again, I read verse 45 where it says, you're bringing me out to a wide place. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when we are obedient to God, he increases our choices. Now you think that's impossible. That's just not true. You know, I'm I'm supposed to do this and this and this and I've gotta give up this and I gotta feel a different way here and maybe a little persecution over there. You know, I'm giving things up when I obey God. But really, Obedience requires restrictions, but also disobedience does as well. We're going to obey something. We're going to obey our feelings. We're going to obey our our pleasures. We're going to obey our intellect. We're going to obey God. We're going going to follow and make choices based on something. So you've got to choose your restrictions. For example, some of you uh, maybe this week visited the gym for the first time in the last 12 months. Okay? So you go to the gym. And then, of course, there's the diet. You know, you go on the keto diet or the, uh, what else? The South Beach diet, um, Graves diet. That's one you never heard of because of the name uh, for, for sure. But you go on these diets and you think to yourself, look, you know, I've, I've done this diet. I can't lose the weight. And so that's it. But really, when you're thinking about a diet, never mind the, those kind of diets, just a good diet, you've got choices, you can take two hours of your life, for example, and eat any way you want to. And that's really how long it takes to eat, probably the meals and the snacks. And you can say, I'm, I'm gonna eat all the brownies I want, all the ice cream I want, all the red meat I want, whatever, bread, whatever you like. I'm just gonna eat what I wanna eat. But you will not enjoy the other 22 hours of your life as much. You won't sleep as well. Others around you may not sleep as well. You're going to put on weight. Uh, you are probably going to die young. You're going to have all kinds of diseases, perhaps. But you enjoy yourself for those two hours. Now, I'm not advocating. I'm just giving an example. But you can have restrictions in your life one way or the other. The same is true with exercise or anything else that you choose to do. When you and I have Uh, obedience or obedience to something there's always a choice a real choice of restrictions in our life better way to put this perhaps is this um you've heard the whole fish out of water thing for all your life but i heard a story recently where a little boy had uh, this hankering for to get a pet his friends had a dog another friend had a cat but he had allergies and so he really couldn't get one of those types of pets so his mother bought him goldfish and had a big tank, you know, a tank, uh, aquarium up in his room. And uh, he came down the first day, kind of looked bewildered. And she said, how do you enjoy your new pets? He said, well, it was great at first. They were down on the floor wiggling around, but then now they don't do anything. <laughs> and what, what was, he took them out of the best environment that they could be in in order to thrive put them in an environment they could not really survive. And even though they kicked around and was fun to play with for a few minutes, it didn't last long because they were out of their best environment. The best environment for you and I to succeed in life, to make a significance in life, is right in the center of God's will. And so obedience is the willing submission of us to someone else. In this case, we're talking about God. And it always involves challenges in our life. In fact, let's look at verse uh, 33 of our text this morning. It says, teach me, O God, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Now, I want you to notice something about this passage. There are seven things that he prays for. And he has a result, or a, a, a why, a therefore, of why he's praying it. And then in verse 40, he, he makes a declaration. He says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my ear to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant what your promise that you may be feared. And then finally, turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Good rules, good restrictions. He goes on to say, behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. He makes a declaration at the end of it. All through this, he's he's praying for God to do something In his life, he's choosing here. He's choosing to place himself under the authority of God, submission to God. And he says in verse 45, this is gonna increase my choices. This is gonna make things better for me. And Lord, I humble myself before you because I can't do it on my own. And I'm asking for these seven things so I can follow your word. Well, why should he do that? Why should you do that? And I think it's a legitimate question. So let's look at the why obedience is a means to an end. For example, God didn't, I don't, I don't believe God just came up one day and say, look, I've got a kingdom. I got all these subjects. I guess, I guess I've got to have some rules. Uh, let's see, don't lie. That's a good rule. Thou shalt not lie. Write that down. Um, don't covet. Write that one down too. That's pretty good. No, he, he had 10 commandments and all the Ten Commandments represented the complete law, and they were there for a legitimate reason. Let's look at this. In verse 40 it says, your commandments and obedience to those commandments and those precepts and testimonies give me life, a means to an end. Then he says in verse 41, let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Look at this. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. He says, look, I trust in the word of God. And therefore, as it comes to me and permeates my life, as I read it, as I apply it to my life, I gain the wisdom of God and I can give an answer to all those around me that ridicule me. We find obedience to God brings us to the point of wisdom. Then it goes on, verse 43. And take the word of God of truth utterly out of my mouth for my hope is in your rules. How in the world? Americans would never think about this. We never think about, oh, where's your hope lie? Oh, in the rules of God. Nobody thinks that, but the psalmist is saying that. He's saying it's, it's a means to an end because it gives me hope. We'll come to why in just a minute. But let's look at the next thing, verse 45 again. It gives me freedom, freedom of choices in a wide place. Finally, he, he just basically is saying this. When you are obedient to God, it helps your relationship with God. It helps you get to know God. First John talks about this, by this we may know that we are in Him. We know for sure that we're a Christian by our obedience to God, but also we get to know Him. Rules and laws are given for a reason. Let's look back, as I promised you last week or two weeks ago, let's look back at the Ten Commandments, just real quickly. And let me just say this the Ten Commandments are totally misunderstood. Um, People think, well, if I obey obey the Ten Commandments, that's going to get me to heaven. Did you know that didn't even get the Israelites to heaven? Exodus 19, before we get to the Ten Commandments, reminds us that the nation of Israel has already been saved. They came out of Egypt, that was their rescue, that was their salvation, crossed over the Red Sea, now they're in the wilderness, they've already been saved. You see, they were not saved by the law. They didn't have the law. They had no real restrictions on their life except for their own conscience and whatever the leader said. They didn't have the law. They didn't have what we have today. So they couldn't be saved by the law. They didn't have it. What were they saved by? Well, they believed the message of Moses. Therefore, they followed him right out of the wilderness. So Exodus 19, verses four and five remind us of this. He says, now, God says, now that you've been rescued, follow this path. Obey me. Then he gives the Ten Commandments. Well, they were given to give us, uh, certainly to give us uh, guidelines for how to live. They were given to glorify God. They were given to get us lost and convince us that we can't do these on our own. But they were given for another reason, specifically to govern our relationships. It's all about that, isn't it? Relationship with God, relationship with others. Let's look at it. Look at the first four. And God spoke to all those words, talking about in Exodus chapter 20, verse one. And I'll just read these to you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Number three, you were in verse uh, Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He says, look, you know, first of all, you don't put any gods before me. All of us have somebody on the throne, something on the throne. You put God on the throne. That's the relationship. You You don't have a permanent idol in your life that you worship. You don't take the Lord's name in vain because in doing that, what you're doing really is cursing God and complaining. He says, I command you to be thankful. You be thankful for what you have, not frustrated and, and critical and maybe bitter a little bit for what you don't have. He says, keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He says, recognize the fact that I have given you rest. When you rest, you look at what you have accomplished and what God has accomplished, and it makes you more praising of God and more thankful to God. You see, all these are about a relationship with God, but let's look at the second set. He goes on to say, In verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God is giving you. There's a relationship principle here that we relate to our parents. Then he says, thou shalt not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness against your neighbor and don't covet. The last six have to do with our relationships with one another. Now think about it for just a moment. What would happen in life if none of these existed? We didn't know what to do. Well, put no other gods before me. We do that all the time. We, we struggle. Uh, we, as, we as Americans, because there's a fluency, we, we struggle with who's on the throne every day. But for those who have something else on the throne, they, they are slaves to that. Making graven image, a per, I mean, just goals in life and permanent fixtures in life that you are going to do this because of the idol in your life. How would it be if we never rested? How would it be if we didn't honor our father and mother? If we didn't do that, then your kids would not honor you. What if we lied to everybody? we, We have lying going on all the time, but there are societies where you can't trust what anybody says. Thou shalt not steal. What about that? You have laws in this land that would keep us from stealing. We know right and wrong because because of the word of God. And we don't, most of us do not steal, but some do. What would happen if there were no laws against stealing and therefore anyone who stole anything from you could take anything, come into your home, take anything they want, no jail time, nothing. That's happening in America a little bit today, but it certainly is happening all over the world. What if we we say, well, some couples commit adultery, not as many as you might think. But nevertheless, what if we had open marriages everywhere? And what if we had distrust everywhere? There would be divorces in almost every family. It would be chaotic on the earth. God has given us this in order for you and I to have something not only to glorify him, not only to get us lost, but also to govern our relationships with him. So we have relationships. What do relationships really consist of? They really consist of a, a trusting love, a love for one another. When you have a relationship with someone that's very, very good, you're in love with someone. That's why the lady says, you know, the, the author said, well, I'm happy most of the time. I'm free most of the time, but I'm not free. I'm not really happy when I was in love. Because when you're in love, you have to sacrifice yourself yourself for someone else. You get married and you go on your honeymoon, you get back from your honeymoon and all of a sudden you you treat toothpaste the wrong way or the right way. You know, you eat different things. One of you is a night owl and the other one goes to bed at seven o'clock. Adjustments to be made. You have a temper that you haven't seen before. You didn't notice because all you had was a roommate and a roommate never crossed you. They don't care. They just avoid you when you're in a bad mood. You complain all the time. Oh, roommate just says, well, I'm out of here. I gotta go study. They don't love you enough. They're not invested enough to confront you with what's going on. And a loving relationship has that kind of crossing. It has a, a confrontation, an accountability within it all. And so <clears throat> obeying God leads to a loving relationship with God and others. What happens when we love? We are inconvenienced. We have to do some changing. There's challenging and there's there's choosing involved in it. Without the conflict, you really have a hard time having a relationship. And so how do we do all this? How do we do that in order to benefit ourselves, to place ourselves in the path of blessing where God is, And the sunny side, when the sun is shining, when his face is shining upon us, we need to be obedient. How do we do that? Well, let's look at it. First of all, I want to go over this point, and it's not in this passage, but we struggle all the time to obey, and you can't obey all the laws of God, not, not hundred percent of the time. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's why we need to ask forgiveness of God. When we sin against God, when we sin against someone else, we go to them. We ask their forgiveness because we are not perfect. The Bible doesn't say that God blesses those whose life is completely perfect. He says, whose heart is completely his. And so what does that entail? Very simple. You look to the cross, you invite Jesus Christ to come into your, uh, your heart based upon the blood and, of course, the body that was shed for us on the cross, was killed for us, made himself vulnerable to us. He so, said, Man, you know, if I'm obedient to God or anybody else, I make myself vulnerable to them. What will God ask me to do? Vulnerable, not nearly as much as what Jesus was vulnerable to us. In fact, it's a pretty good deal. He was vulnerable even to the death on the cross. So we invite Christ into our life, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God gives us power, power within our life. Notice he says here, and I, I don't want to read these verses again, but let me just say this. He says, verse 33, teach me. Verse 34, give me. Thir- 35, lead me. Incline my heart, in verse 36. Turn my eyes from worthless things. He said, I can't do this on my own, God. I praised you and praised your word. I have been committed for the first 24, 20, 32 verses of this Psalm that I'm gonna, I'm going to obey you, but I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. And without trusting Christ as your savior and Lord, without the spirit of God living in your heart, the rest of what I have to say really is not very applicable. I mean, it's nice to write it down in case you need it one day, but it won't work for you today. But let me get, very quickly, to the practical. How do you do it? First of all, you receive Christ, but after that, you accept the ultimate authority of the Bible. That's what this man was doing as he was writing the psalm. He was saying, he was saying, look, I believe the word of God, and I take it in full authority, and I'm willing to give my life to God by giving my life to obeying it. Now, that's a strong statement. But you have to believe the Bible. In the New Testament says this, this way. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof for correction, and training in righteousness. How much of the Bible? All the Bible. All of it. Well, why is it necessary to believe all of it? I mean, after all, people bring out the dietary laws. You know, no one's worried about the dietary laws. You know, that's not their objection, okay? But they bring that out as an example. There's not a theologian or a pastor I know in any denomination that would not say that the dietary and the cleansing type of ceremonial laws are for the Jewish nation. This was before Jesus Christ, and the dietary laws were really to distinguish themselves as the people of God, and the ceremonial laws were, was to show cleansing, cleansing like of the hands before they go into the, the temple to show that Christ is coming to cleanse them. And they need to be cleansed before they come before the throne of God. So you've got all kinds of laws like that. And you interpret, how do you do that? When you inter- oh yeah, you got to interpret the Bible. You don't interpret everything else. Who reads a novel, a novel without interpretation? Who reads a history book, a computer book, How many of you would say, well, I'm going to operate my computer by this one page of the computer book. I'm going to, I've read one page of the novel and therefore I know everything about this novel and boy, it's contradictory, right? You're on the same, well, you didn't read the page before and the page after. All we're asking you to do is to interpret the Bible the way you would any other book, just simply in context and taking its historical value from it as well. And so we we talk about all that, but really there's things in, here's the problem, there's moral things in the Bible that rub us against our lifestyle and we don't really want to believe that because we'll have to change. Now, that's why Tim Keller, a retired Northeast pastor, said this several years ago. Unless you see the Bible As God's word in your life, you can never have a relationship with God. Now, this is a very intelligent guy. He's got the PhD, written many, many books. And he says you can't even have a relationship with God. Well, at first glance, you think, why? What does the Bible say about that? What what did he have to say? What did the Bible have to say? Well, here's the problem. When you don't take the Bible as the final authority of your life, the word of God for your life, then what do you take as a final authority? Culture? Do you take your feelings? Most of us just take our feelings, don't we? What we believe, which may come from culture, coupled with our feelings. Therefore, God can never tell us anything. Because the final authority is my feelings. If I come across something in the Bible that is morally against what I'm feeling, then I change the Bible. Well, the Bible's just not right there. It must be the Greek or something, you know, the Hebrew. It must be something different. This is just the traditional way. I remember uh, preaching a, a series of messages and talking about some, some things, and somebody put on Facebook, well, uh, Pastor Mercer historically has just preached tradition instead of the Bible, What was he saying? He was saying he disagreed with some of the things in the Bible. And therefore, I was wrong and his feelings were right. But you always have to change. Therefore, no God can tell you how to live. No God can change you. And there's no challenging of your life. There's no relationship that says there's a give and take here. Again, in the marriage relationship, things are going on in your life, and you think, well, you know, there's a blind spot in my life. And maybe it takes a lot of, a, a lot of mentioning, and maybe you ask your friend, is this true? But it comes to the point where if that relationship in the marriage works, it, it works because there is good conflict in the relationship that's going on. There's a rubbing of back and forth and back and forth, like sandpaper making a finer person. But when you have a Stepford wife, remember that? I don't know. Maybe you don't remember that movie. I've only seen part of it one time. Uh, It got kind of boring. But basically, the, the wives were robots. And they did whatever the husbands wanted them to do. Well, that's not a relationship. That's not a give and take relationship. And we treat God like that. He's a Stepford God. He's one that just does what we want to do. Oh, I, I believe in a loving God. I, I believe in a loving God. Therefore, anything that has to do with justice, I don't believe that. I believe in a God who, who was, uh, is gracious to me and loving to me, but, uh, I don't know, premarital sex? I mean, come on. That, that's kind of archaic in the Bible, is it? I mean, culture just doesn't feel that way. Our morals are challenged over and over and over again in the Bible, and if we don't believe the Bible is our final authority, we'll move the Bible to us, instead of us being moved to the Bible. Therefore, there's no relationship. That's what he's talking about when he says that. And so we must, we must come to the grips, grips with the fact, and trust that this is the word of God. And I would challenge you to read it, and I think that you would find out that it is. And even if you have intellectual challenges, I'd be glad to recommend books to you that you can read to show you intellectually why this, I believe this Bible is the Word of God. But secondly, you've got to allow the Bible to study you. You say, well, I study the Bible. Did you, do you allow the Bible to study you? You know, when we read the Bible or hear a message, we really be, ought, ought to be asking ourselves some questions. You know, you aren't, you aren't here today by accident. You're not watching by, by um, your device at home or television today on TV 45. You're not... You're not watching by accident. God has laid it on your heart somehow, and and you've tuned in, and you're here today. And so you're hearing a sermon, a message from Psalm 119. Why? And therefore, first of all, what is he teaching? And secondly, why, why, why? Why does God want me to hear that? Now, I like the acrostic space. I think I got it um, years, 30 years ago from Rick Warren one of his books, but space, and it stands for this. Sin, is there a sin for me to confess? I read the passage, okay, yeah, you know, there's a sin for me to confess. I, I need to confess that and turn toward God and obey God and, and therefore become more free from that sin. Is there a principle here for me to follow? A, is, is there an attitude that I need to change? Is there a command for me to obey? Or is there an example for me to follow? You see, it's one thing to study the passage. You say, oh, I see the context. I see the historical significance to that. I see what Jesus was saying. But what's he saying because of what he said? Why does, what is he saying to you? And why is he saying it? Where do you need to adjust in your life? What is the one thing right now, in fact, that you need to do in order to really get right with the Lord, in order to get in that path of blessing? You're close. And there's just kind of one thing. Maybe you don't know what it is, but maybe you do. And you say, well, yeah, God's been laying on my heart a long time to do that or give up that or change that. What is it? Well, the third thing and final is you got to choose in advance. You can't make a decision when the temptation comes. You know, the old saying, you know, you don't, you don't make a decision on whether you're going to remain pure or not in the back seat of, by the time you get in the backseat of a car. You know, that's just kind of an old illustration. You, you don't decide, uh, you know, whether you're going to exercise or not when you get up on Monday morning. I mean, who does that? You can't do that. You get up on Monday morning. Yeah, I'm going to the gym today. New year, new me. But boy, six o'clock in the morning is awful early. You know, Tuesday seems like a better day to me. And then Tuesday comes, and what day looks better to you? Or maybe in 2023 by then. You make a decision in advance. Um, I remember reading Daniel 1, one of the first times I ever read it. And in Daniel chapter 1, it said, Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's meat that had been offered to idols. Okay. But it says in there, they decided when they were young to follow the Lord. Every decision we make must be made in advance before we're hit with a real decision, before we're hit with a temptation. You decide in advance. What's God telling you? How's God speaking to you? One of my mentors, Billy Hanks Jr., I worked for International Evangelism Association in Fort Worth, Texas. Tells a wonderful story. And he says he was in this African-American church and uh, <clears throat> he was about ready to preach. He's sitting down in the front pew. The pastoral staff was up on the stage and the pastor gets up. He thought, oh, he's gonna introduce me. He walks over to the piano and starts playing. So pastor, can you do that? No, no, but he could. And he started playing beautifully. And he just started saying, yes, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. And the whole congregation began to say that louder and louder until it was like overwhelming. Yes, Lord, yes. And what were they saying? God, your messenger is about to speak. And whatever he says to us, the answer is yes. We'll do it. That's obedience to God, and that's what is going to not corral you here, but enlarge something in your life that you've never seen before. You've chosen your restrictions, and the restrictions that maybe we've been dealing with are a lot more restrictive than putting our hand, our life simply in the hand of God. What is it God's telling you today? What do you need to adjust in your life? And then, if you're not a Christian, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you, may I remind you, the very next thing God wants you to do, I already know what it is, is receive Jesus. Receive him into your heart. If you've already been saved, but like Brother Paul on the video, never been baptized, I can tell you the next thing he wants you to do is to be baptized. I can tell you that. He said, well, I've done that too, but I'm kind of out here on my own. The next thing he wants you to do is become part of a church somewhere where you can grow in the Lord. Some of the things are simple. Some of the things are not because they're in your heart. They're in your, your mind, and they're private to you. But you know there's something, a forgiveness in your heart, a sin to give up, an attitude to change, a command to obey. What is it in your life? With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me just speak to those, first of all, who have never received Christ. You don't know that he lives in your heart and all the principles that we've been talking about today while you want to be free and free to choose and have everything wide open to you. You know that you must first trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. Would you do that right now? Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, Would you pray this prayer with me? And you can pray it silently as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying there for my sins. I open up my heart and by obedience to your word, I ask you to come into my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Teach me in the way everlasting. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.